Hello, this is Courtney Drake McDonough. I'm the owner and managing editor of RealFoodTraveler.com, a culinary travel digital magazine. And this is the Real Podcast. This time we are talking bees and beekeeping and the importance of bees and why a veterinarian is managing beekeeping. So our guest today is Dr. Jennifer Short, who has the Sanctuary Farms Apiary and Camino Island Honey. So without further ado, Dr. Short, let's uh, get to know you and what your business is all about. Awesome, Courtney. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, I'm Dr. Jennifer Short, as Courtney said, and I'm a bee veterinarian, which is pretty unique in this day and age. I'm the owner of Sanctuary Farms Apiary and Camino Island Honey um, out here in beautiful Puget Sound. Um, the business actually has been uh, going now for about three years, and um, but I've been in the farming and agriculture business for a very, very long time in various ways, so that's who we are. So talk about how Camino Island Honey came to be. Camino Island Honey um, really didn't start as a, a honey um, a business or uh, or in any form. Um, the short answer was that it was a response to a lack of pollinators uh, that we had out here on the island when I moved out here about five, six years ago. Uh, I love gardening, and so gardening is kind of my passion, agriculture and farming. I, I love it. So when I put in my garden for the first year, I found that the, pro, the production side of it was just really terrible. It was um, lacked uh, real, you know, big vegetables or a lot of vegetables on the plants. Um, and so it just um, made me aware that there weren't a lot of bees in the area, and uh, since I'm on the south end of this island, um, you can see that the production of, of flowers and plants um, was just really not what it could have been. Uh, I also have this huge propensity for um, agriculture, like I said, and farming and gardening, and, and I love animal agriculture, um, and so uh, I, I found that it, it kind of filled a niche for me, beekeeping, to be able to do animal agriculture without the need for a, a large parcel of land. What I really started out doing was making honeybees. I really started out just wanting to uh, expand the number of honeybees in the area. So since the void in our pollinator population uh, was really obvious, uh, it, it made sense to me to go ahead and, and start really um, just going ahead and, and making more bees. So once we started developing uh, that skill set for making a lot of bees, well, uh, you know, one of the byproducts of that, of course, is, is honey and wax. And so we found that we uh, once made a lot of bees that it made sense to go ahead and take those byproducts and be able to reinvest them back in our system so that we could go ahead and do more educational um, and, and tourism uh, components to the business. So we've expanded into product development and educational tourism um, that where we promote bees through awareness presentations and speaking engagements and tours at our facility. And, and I also do a lot of consulting with uh, landowners in adjoining counties. Some of the biggest counties are just south of me. Um, where uh, Seattle is in King County, and, and those um, folks as well want to go ahead and support pollinators and support um, agriculture. So um, they've uh, 
allowed me to come into their area and, and go ahead and expand their interest in the bees and beekeeping by facilitating hives in, in, on their properties down in those uh, more highly populated areas. I'm intrigued by the phrase you used, making bees. What do you mean by that? Bees love, one of the, the idiosyncrasies of bees is that they love to reproduce. <laughs> so a queen will literally lay a couple of thousand, a good queen will lay a couple of thousand eggs a day. And so her whole uh, mission in life is to go ahead and make more bees. And, and when she gets to a point and the workers all agree that there's so many bees in that particular house that they can't stand it anymore, they go ahead and they swarm. And it's reproduction on a colony level where they make two colonies out of one colony by going ahead and the queen takes half of the entourage and takes off and makes a new, a new um, colony. So I take all of that innate um, natural instinct and I go ahead and I allow them to do that exponentially and kind of plow the road for them and make it easy for them to make more bees and make um, more colonies by going ahead and splitting my colonies when they get to a size where they feel like they want to go ahead and take off. But I go ahead and I pull them out first and relocate them so that they don't feel like they have to do that. Hmm. So it's called splitting um, a colony, and I've been able to do that um, pretty well over the last couple of years and, uh, and get them to reproduce kind of exponentially. That's amazing. And you talked earlier about creating pollinators for the whole area. How far reaching and literally how far can the bees that you help create go, you know, in, in sort of spreading the pollinator love? Well, there's really no limit. Um, the beauty of bees is that they live in a box. So they're pretty easy to transport. And I have a really great uh, community here on this island where I've had people go ahead and contact me and volunteer to get involved in our host hive program. So I have um, people who have um, Camano Island honey hives on their property, and I come and I maintain them and make sure that they're healthy and do the diagnostics and treatments that they might need. But um, but the people um, go ahead and they donate their their property, their land, to allowing me to site hives on their on their land. So. I have hives uh, all up and down the island, which is about 15 miles long, and um, and so I, I can kind of spread them as, as much as the bees will allow. Okay, so it's not so much, and excuse the naivete of my question, it's not so much that the, the bees fly so far, it's that you're placing hives around and spreading spreading the pollination that way. Yeah, both okay. actually, because oh. the bees will, they like to, to keep to about a two mile um, radius when they fly, when they forage to go collect pollen and nectar. Um, and so I try to go ahead and make sure that there's a little bit of overlap, but that my yards are uh, spaced so that I get a pretty good population density all the way up and down the island. That's amazing. When you and I were coordinating this call for the podcast, you mentioned that you're up really, really early, that your day gets started very early, <laughs> which yeah. just made me tired just thinking about that. <laughs> so we, yeah. this was a compromise for our call to happen at 7 a.m. your time, 8 a.m. my time. So tell me what a, a typical day is like for you. 
Yeah, it's kind of brunch here. So <laughs> we, um, I, I start right around 4-ish in the morning. And, and it's not that I set an alarm clock. It's just the way my rhythms kind of work. So it's just a habit. I'm a morning person, so productivity and creativity is way higher AM versus PM for me. And I just use that to my advantage instead of wasting it, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in the morning, I'll go ahead. Uh, and what's funny is you, you talk about what's, what's a typical day. And when you do bees, you learn there is no typical, right? It's, it, every day is just off the wall different. You just never know what you're going to find or what's going to happen. So what I tend to do, though, is while the bees are still asleep uh, during the darkness of the early morning, I'll do all my R&D, so all my research and development um, ideas, uh, you know, Internet searches for what products I'm going to launch the next year or, you know, labeling or packaging research. All my educational and, and learning skill development gets done early, early in the morning when I'm um, pretty bright and, and I'm absorbing <laughs> my maximum. Um, and then the mundane business-related work, you know, the stuff you have to do just because you're in business, like pay bills and, and file quarterly tax reports and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then my work planning. And, th and that all happens kind of in the first five to six hours of the day. And then I switch my focus to the farming aspect of the business um, and, and tend to the animal health and welfare issues that are pending for that day. You know, I'll, I'll know approximately what hive inspections or what yards need to have feeding or treatments or diagnostics done. And, and so I, I have to plan for all that, have all my equipment gear in the truck if I'm going to go to a different yard. And then that, that all, the, you know, once the, the day starts with daylight and the bees are up and rousted and doing their thing, um, that part of my day can last anywhere, you know, around five to six hours on the average. It's another chunk of time. And, and if, if something goes wrong or something's hinky, then, you know, that could go well into, you know, late afternoon and early evening. The bees don't really like to be fussed with once the sun goes down, so mm -hmm. I try not to fuss with them at all um, once the dust comes. And, and then once I've gotten all that under control, I try to focus on the end-of-the-day tasks um, at that point that don't require a lot of creativity or, or mental gymnastics, right? Like, uh, I'll do my record-keeping uh, late in the, in the afternoon or evening. I'll do my emails, phone messages, and just catching up on bee news because I belong <laughs> to a a few Facebook sites, beekeeping Facebook sites, so I try to keep up with those um, ladies, the women in beekeeping, and, and that's my typical day. Wow. That's a long day. That's a <laughs> yeah. long day. So you're, you're a veterinarian. I don't normally think of veterinarians and bees. So was it a stretch, or did it seem strange at all for you to take that path in your career? You know... I get that question a lot, um, and what's funny is that the veterinary schools now are starting to focus on bees um, and beekeeping because a lot of uh, beekeepers have to use different chemicals and, and antibiotics in order to treat their bees for diseases. So, so the veterinarians are starting to just now engage in bees and beekeeping, but I, I don't really, it's, it's not at all actually been a stretch. Um, I was a large animal veterinarian specializing in intensively managed herd health and welfare for about 25 years. So 
Um, so moving from, you know, those kinds of animals to another um, intensively managed, you know, packaged, uh, you know, production animal was pretty was a pretty easy transition. I, I also owned and operated an organic dairy for about seven years um, while I was a practitioner, and and so that helped a lot, not only with the animal side of the business and understanding the intensive management requirements of the animal, but also with the product and business challenges. You know, dairy is probably the most challenging um, product uh, that you can get involved with uh, on an agricultural level just because it's so volatile. You know, there's a very short shelf life, and, and it is, um, it's just, you know, and bees are a lot like dairy animals. So, again, that transition was very easy to, to kind of make. That's amazing, and, and especially given that you worked with large animals. I mean, my gosh, you know, going from that to tiny little bees, that's, that's yeah, really... Yeah, I've gone from the largest to the smallest, yeah. haven't I? <laughs> yeah, So, okay, so a very fundamental question. What's the deal with bees? Why is it so important right now to nurture them and to make sure their survival is intact? You know, I just um, gave a, a presentation here locally, uh, and I do a, a lot of the pollinator awareness presentations um, for a, a Grange group, and and they all, you know, everybody really wants to have that particular question answered. And so, the big issue about supporting the bees is primarily that we're trying to produce more food resources on a smaller and smaller footprint of agricultural space. I mean, as our population becomes larger, the land we have to grow food on becomes smaller, and that makes logical sense, right? So in order to make that smaller space more productive um, so they can grow what we need, we need to either make it more productive by adding fertilizers and eliminating disease and stuff through chemical applications, or we need to have each plant make more and bigger fruits and vegetables some other way. So so I think what's important for people to understand is that we've tried pouring chemicals on crops for years, you know, and that's not faring very well for us. And we've seen um, a population transition where people want more organic food. They want food that's, that's less, you know, tainted with chemicals and, and drugs and things like that. So in order for us to bridge that gap, we're going to have to focus on the pollinators to step up our game, I think. And, and allow them to go ahead and make our agriculture more productive by mm. pollination. So, and another big problem we face is, is forage diversity. So, like, the more we implement monocrop agriculture, you know, growing big, huge, vast fields of corn or canola or whatever it is, um, the less hedgerows and open space we have which means the nutritional diversity is kind of um, going downhill for these bees and pollinators, and it creates stress. So those are all real big issues that we have with pollinators and why why they're so important to us. Well, that's very interesting, and thank you for that really logical explanation. That makes a lot more sense now. So if someone's interested in becoming a beekeeper, even if it's just in their own backyard, what are some of the basic criteria that they should have in order to be successful? I, I watch a lot of um, beginning beekeepers, and, and even though uh, a lot of um, older commercial guys would go ahead and look at me and say, well, you're just a beginner too, um, I've got 25 years of veterinary experience behind me working with these kinds of animals. So 
I have, I brought that to the table um, with me. So I kind of understand them, I think, on a level that a lot of even the commercial beekeepers don't understand from a medical standpoint. And I think anyone can buy a colony of bees and put them in their backyard. I mean, that's, that's not really the challenging part of it. Uh, the trick is to keep them alive, and especially through the winter. Our losses here in Washington State last year for hobbyist beekeepers was close to 44%, I think. Hmm. So, and that's the last survey that we just saw from the pollinator partnership. So, our bees are being affected by a, a small a mite. Uh, it's kind of like a tick that transmits viruses uh, to the baby bees in the comb. And so, uh, that mite can run rampant in a colony, and essentially the viruses will kill the bees early so they won't make it to the spring when the queen starts to lay eggs again to replace them. So, that's kind of the biggest challenge that we have is this mite. And, and being able to diagnose it and treat it and get it out of the colonies before it affects the, the bee in the comb. So if you really want to be successful at keeping bees, in my opinion, you really have to be ready to commit to the time it takes to learn, um, inspect hives so you know what good and bad looks like. Um, I've done, you know, a thousand inspections now, and, and I, every time I, I do a daily inspection, you know, often I'm still seeing things that I've never seen before. So they could be quite challenging. So, and you also need to invest in the processes needed to make sure that they're healthy and well-fed. And, and the person who thinks they can go ahead and drop a, a bee colony in their backyard and then just collect honey in the fall and, and wait for spring again, is not going to have a live colony come spring. So that's kind of the challenges that people face. That's a lot. So big picture, if you could accomplish anything you want to with um, sanctuary farms and with Camino Island honey, you know, without any obstacles in your way, what what's your dream for what it could become? Well, that, that's a tough that's a tough question, just because. There's just so much diversity uh, with the bee and what you, you know, directions that you can go into. You know, we've got guys who just focus on pollination services and we've got guys who just focus on honey. And, and there's a lot of hobbyists that focus on, you know, the balms and the lip balms, which we also do. But, but my vision of sanctuary farms and, and Camino Island honey um, really came out of my drive to be an educator. You know, I, I taught at a couple of universities in veterinary medicine, and and I really love um, teaching and educating people. So my my big accomplishment would be to be a a destination agritourism venue that people can come to because it's unique, it's exciting adventure, and to visit with the bees and learn how to help them. And that's kind of what would be kind of the peak of the mountain for me. That sounds wonderful. You touched a little bit on, on balms and some of the other products. Tell us a little bit more about what products you do produce there. In our surplus last year, we went ahead and we decided to develop some homeopathic um, skin balm because I was an organic um, uh, owner of an organic dairy. Uh, I learned to be a homeopathic veterinarian. So since I couldn't use drugs and chemicals, on the animals being organic, I had to learn how to use um, essential oils and things like that. So, um, so in in this whole um, journey, uh, our our philosophy at Sanctuary Farms was that awareness is kind of best built to 
facilitated through the, the products that, that people enjoy and, and feel that we can make a bigger positive impact um, by going ahead and allowing people to support the pollinators by utilizing and buying those products. So we went ahead and we, we um, bottled our honey, what surplus we had last year, um, and then we went ahead and developed um, the skin balms uh, and, and lip balms uh, that are available on our website uh, for those that are interested in those products. And, um, and every year we have new offerings and expand uh, with market demands. We've got a new product that we're going to start working on here shortly through the winter R&D season because the bees go to bed here uh, in November uh, and there's not a lot to do with them. Um, it's my time to sit down with um, all my support network and, and decide on the next great thing. So I'm pretty excited um, because uh, we've got a, a product coming next year that we're all um, pretty excited about. So I, I'm not going to tell anybody what it is yet, <laughs> but check in next year because it's going to be big. All right. We will do that. Maybe we'll have a follow-up podcast. You reveal that. <laughs> there you go. You know, you, you mentioned about the bees going to bed in November. So is there such a thing as vacation time for you? Vacation, I think, is really um, kind of what you make it. So mm-hmm. I I do have bee downtime and business downtime, and all my folks that I work with um, understand when each happens, right? So in the spring, summer, and early fall, that's all bee time. So my bee people know that's when they can find me in yards or painting, you know, the boxes or building boxes or doing whatever I need to support the bees. And then in November, there's this transition that kind of happens, and my business people know, oh, now's the time you can go ahead and get a hold of Jen because mm-hmm. she's in the office working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So November through March is kind of my time to do all my research and development for products or packaging, you know, finding the right bottle, finding the right label, those, those kinds of things, mm-hmm. and, uh, and finding the right genetics for next year because that's really important for me is the genetic uh, research that I do to go ahead and find a more mite-resistant bee. And so I, I bring in genetics from all over the Pacific Northwest and California to support that effort. And so um, finding the right stock uh, is a winter thing as well. So so vacation, um, vacation I, I'm not sure <laughs> what, what vacation means. <laughs> It's so complicated. It's just so much more detailed than I envisioned. It's I'm very impressed by what you do. So, last question: you know, We want people to come visit you and buy your products and and learn from you. So, what should people know about getting in touch with you? There's a bunch of different ways to get in touch with us. Um, we have a Facebook site. We also have a website, which is pretty cool. We just finished our website this uh, spring, so um, that's a new cool way to get a hold of us. Um, I also do some posting on Instagram, so that's always available. Um, And visiting the apiary is truly a remarkable and pretty rare experience. Um, There aren't a lot of these kinds of venues. There are very few beekeeping companies that offer this kind of educational and pollinator interface uh, on a a personal level. So we offer um, people to come out and do an apiary tour. 
Um, come prepared to learn a lot, enjoy the most amazing scenery available in the country here in the Pacific Northwest. We're right on the sound, so the drive down the island is um, is worth the vacation time, and uh, and be amazed by the incredible honeybee. And and what is your website? Um, it is www.tomanoislandhoney.com. Easy enough. Okay. Well, Dr. Jennifer Short, thank you so much for educating us about bees and about your business and also the Camino Islands a little bit. And it certainly sounds like a wonderful destination and a wonderful thing to see. And I hope Real Food Traveler readers and listeners will come visit you and, and let you know that they heard about you on, uh, on this podcast. Well, thank you, Courtney, for giving me the opportunity. It was a lot of fun. I'm so looking forward to it.